Last week we kicked off a series called Fighting for Our Family, and today I want to build on what we talked about last week. If you're a first-time guest or new today, so glad to see you, and you can join in with us as well. You know, I remember growing up, uh, everybody in my family had a seat at the table. Uh, There were assigned seats at dinner. I don't know if your family was like this, but my whole upbringing, I sat in the same chair. Uh, My little brother always sat closest to the wall in between the chair, between the table and the wall because he was the smallest. My mom always sat on the side of the table that was closest to the kitchen. So if she needed to like hop up and you know, get some food or wait on somebody, she could do that. My dad sat closest to the garage on the other side of the table from my mom because that was the biggest space and he was the biggest and then I was the big brother and I didn't have quite as much space as my dad, but I had more than my little brother. And everybody had an assigned seat at the table. Uh, A few months ago, uh, we were eating dinner and I sat down in my daughter's spot and you would have thought that like, truly one of the greatest controversies of our family had, had ensued. I was severely corrected. Dad, that is not your seat at the table. That's my chair. How dare you sit in my seat? You know, it's interesting. The family is an amazing uh, institution. It's an amazing organization. There's nothing quite like it. But the family is under assault. The family is broken. Many people today are going through divorces. Many marriages are struggling. Many families are hurting. And today we need to understand from God's word our seat at the table and what we can do to build healthy and happy families. I've got some chairs up here on the uh, stage today, and each of these chairs represents a different seat at the table. And the first chair is the Lord. God is always to be the head of the table, the God chair. In Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul begins to give us some insight into the family, and uh, he lists out the different roles of the family, but he begins in verse 15 uh, by saying this, uh, and the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, may it rule your hearts. And be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts. And then check this out in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of God of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you read the subsequent verses, he gets into husbands and wives and children, but I want you to see the context with which he's speaking, and he talks about God first. God is the focus. Uh, In verse 17, whatever we do in word or deed should be done in the name of the Lord. Uh, So, Whether we're at work or whether we're worshiping at church or whether we are at home with the family, God is to be first, God is to be the focus, God is to be the center of all that we do. And we want God to sit at the head of the table. We want him to be right here at the top. You know, marriage experts tell us that 
two-thirds of all unhappy marriages will get happy in five years if the couple does not split up. Isn't that amazing? I mean, yeah, there's just something about kind of like sticking with the stuff. But how do families, how do marriages stay together when they're seeming to be pulled apart? We have to have God. We have to have the Lord as a foundation. God is the place that we can come together. He's a centerpiece. He's a foundation. He's the glue. He, he is the very place on which we stand. And without God in the home, we just fall victim to all of the other, all of the other thoughts and ideas that are blowing around. Now, when we live in the home, we have to remember that God is watching all that we do. What would our families and what would our lives be like if we remembered that God was sitting at the head of the table, that God was watching? I wonder how it would change the conversations in the home. I wonder what we would think when uh, we were tempted to maybe be kind of harsh or to snap at somebody if we might be reminded of a few Bible verses like uh, be kind or maybe love one another or, or uh, love is patient, love is kind. What would our marriages, what would our families be like if we remembered every day God is watching, God is sitting at the head of the table and God is the one who calls the balls and the strikes. When one spouse or one family member may tend to get a little off focus, a little bit over here, God is the one that brings us back and helps us to refocus when we get distracted. Maybe when I get a little selfish, or maybe I start to feel sorry for myself, or maybe I get frustrated, and I start to kind of you know, wander over here a little bit. God is the one that says, you know what, Ryan, don't do that. The Holy Spirit, his voice in my life, the, the word of God directing me. Hey, listen, you got to let that go. You got to forgive some things. You got to refocus. You, you, you got to not look at it that way. We, we got to have God bringing us all together. How can we get people who are so different to all be moving the same direction? We need God. We need God's supernatural empowerment. We need God's capabilities we need God's strength and wisdom to help us to have a healthy and a harmonious home. We, we need God's help. And for many people, God is kind of the last resort. It's kind of like 911 call, let's call God. You know, once we get the attorneys involved, then we'll pray. It's kind of our last resort instead of our first option. Man, God wants to be first. God wants to sit at the head of the table. But you know what? There's another seat at the table that we have to talk about. And that is the wife's seat at the table. I've got kind of a special chair here. I almost said it was curvy, but what I meant was it was delicate. It was artistic. It was, it was very feminine. It's such a little bitty chair that I feel like I'm going to break it every time I sit in it. I want to drink tea with my pinky out when I sit here. It's really beautiful. The wife's chair. God's chair is God leads. The wife's chair is she supports. Okay, now God has orchestrated, God has 
architect the roles in the family. God created us with these roles in mind. When we begin to make up our own roles, we, we get everything discombobulated in the home. But God created the wife to support. Now, Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And then in Ephesians 5.21, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in another book of the Bible, uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's think about these two verses. Um, some people have read these verses throughout history and have said, you know what, the Bible demeans women. The Bible puts women down because it says that women should submit. But let's look at this word. This word to submit is not a negative term in any way. The term to submit is actually an esteeming term and it means to get up under. It means to support. It's used in other writings around the time of the New Testament to describe like a military term. So to get under somebody or to get behind some, some group like the family is to support. And wives have an amazing capacity to bring support and help to the family. And we need that in the home. This does not mean that men are better than women because women are to submit to husbands. In fact, in Ephesians, he actually says that husbands and wives submit to one another. And so you could, look at, you could look at it that way too. Husbands submit to wives, wives submit to husbands. That's very true. We need that mutual submission, everybody working together. But in Colossians, he says that wives have a seat at the table and one of the primary roles of the wife is to bring support. And husbands need support, amen? They do. One of the ways we can support husbands, encouraging him, empowering him, trying to help him. Some of our husbands need lots of help. Amen? That's a valuable role. We need that in the home, don't we? Wives, submit to husbands. Wives, lift up the husband. Wife, encourage the husband. It's beautiful. Now, orthodoxy teaches us that when Jesus came to earth, that he relinquished some of his divine capacities. And that's why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not your will, but mine. Jesus was never less God, but he submitted to the Father. And that's a beautiful picture of Christian marriage. Do you see it? We can submit to one another... And it doesn't mean that one is more significant than the other. Just because you submit to me does not mean that I'm a greater party. Jesus submitted to the Father. And in chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians, he talks about the Father and the Son. So we see this right here in the context of what we're discussing today. Um, uh, this doesn't mean that, that uh, submitting is not in line with our giftings. Um, you can be submissive and be better at something than your husband. You might be fantastic at something. That doesn't mean you can't be submissive at the same time. Uh, my wife is amazing at anything tech. I'm telling you, if my wife wasn't working at the church, she might rule the Silicon Valley. She's awesome. I mean, she can create websites. 
She can figure out apps. She can work on computer. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I don't even know if she really feels like that's her favorite thing to do, but she's just very good at it. And our family, if there's ever a tech problem, guess who the kids go to? Yeah, we know it would be a sign of the apocalypse if the kids came to talk to me about tech issues. And she is always, she is always, I'm like, you know, can you help with this? She's like, what's your password? I'm like, I have no idea what my password is, you know? So just because you're better at something doesn't mean that you can't be submissive or, or just because... Um, it doesn't mean you can't get up under and, and, and bring support. That very well may be the case. There's many things that women are better at than men. And that's great. And we need everybody, we need all seats at the table to bring health into the family. Um, the scripture teaches us singular headship and plural leadership. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So men have a position of influence and leadership in the home. We need wife support. We have to work together as a team. But God has called men to lead. And men, I hope that you'll be a leader in your home. Uh, you know, we need spiritual leaders in the home. Many of you know I call a lot of our guests and I talk to a lot of new folks. I try to shake hands in the lobby and meet as many people as I can. And you know what I've found um, after pastoring this church for more than 10 years is that in about 80% of the families, the wife makes all of the spiritual decisions. I've literally called husbands before and I've said, thanks for coming to see us last weekend. And I've had men say, I'll let my wife know that you called. And I'm like, well, were you there too? I mean, like, do you have a spiritual pulse? I mean, were you like handcuffed and stuck in the car and dragged to church and chained down to the back row? Was it that bad? But a lot of men think, you know what? That's the wife's job. Anything spiritual, wife job. When we read the New Testament, God challenges the men to be leaders. We need spiritual leadership in the home. We need men to do what God has called men to do. Let's be strong leaders. Now, back to our talk about submission. Being submissive does not be, mean being robotic. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't mean that women don't have independent thoughts. It doesn't mean that all women are the same. Obviously, they're different. Um, it's not uh, sinful. You notice in verse 18, he says, as is fitting to the Lord. In other words, if your husband ever says, hey, I want you to do something that violates the teachings of Scripture, we go with God first, right? We got to remember the head of the table. So th 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 this is not men misleading families. This is not this is not dominance. This is, this, this, this is not chaos in the home. It's not sinful. It's actually voluntary. And it's interesting because this word submit is in the middle voice uh, of the Greek language, which is a fancy way of saying that the subject uh, acts independently. 
because they choose to do so. The implication is that wives voluntarily submit to husbands. It's not coerced. If you ever have your Bible out, guys, and you're saying, wives submit to husbands, you've missed the spirit of this chapter. I've counseled a couple of couples that have tried that. It didn't work very well, actually, you know? Husbands, if you love your wives, your wives will want to submit to you. It's amazing. We'll get to that in just, just a few moments. But it's voluntary. People confuse submission with obedience. Now, a little bit later, Paul's going to say, children, obey your parents. But notice that's not what he says to the wives. There's a difference between I willingly support you and submit to you versus children, obey your parents. Two different deals, two different assignments, two different seats at the table. And submission is a partnership. We work together. Men are superior to women at being men. And women are superior to men at being a woman. And when those parties come together, we have health, we have the dynamics that God's created in the home. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. That's, that's the way it turns out, is it, it turns out to be a blessing. It turns out to be a great blessing. So we have God at the head. We have the wife sitting in her chair supporting, but we also have a third chair, and that's the husband and the father. And the apostle gives instruction to the man. I like this chair a little bit. I'm a little more comfortable in this chair than I am in that chair over there. That thing was about to break. What do husbands and dads do? Well, they love and encourage. They love and encourage. Um, under Jewish law, women could not divorce in the first century, the time that the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, for any reason other than if your husband got leprosy, if your husband abandoned the faith, or if he raped a virgin, then you might be able to get a divorce. Women had no rights. Women were possessions. Um, they were viewed like property. In the Greek culture, there was a similar type of environment. Women were not even allowed to go shopping by themselves. Now, guys, you want to talk about a curse. Every time your wife has to go shopping, you have to go with her. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Very bad. Yeah, women basically had babies. They stayed at home. They cleaned. They cooked. They ate separately. They lived lives of seclusion, quiet lives. They did not initiate. This, this is radical for us, okay? Now, here's how we know that the Bible esteems women God's word, the book of Colossians, says husbands love your wives. Now, we read this text and we think wives submit to husband, that that's kind of scandalous. But I will tell you, to the first century audience, something far more radical to them was husbands love your wives. Like, why would I esteem my wife? Why would I want to listen to her? Why would I want to value her? She's just another possession. Uh, in Greek culture, men could run around and have all kinds of relationships and nobody thought anything about it. But if the wife did something like that, she was immediately and harshly punished. 
It's a different world. But it is in that context that the apostle gives this command to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In verse 19. In other words, you're esteeming your wife. You're, you're, you're considering your wife to be extremely valuable. And so Paul is elevating the role of women. He's saying, listen, if you want to have a happy home, if you want to have harmony around this table, husbands have to love their wives. And uh, there's so many examples of that. Listening to our wives, a huge way of showing love, showing empathy, thoughtfulness, encouragement. Um, One wife told me this week that she feels love when her husband does what he's told. We need to love our wives. It's a God thing. It's a biblical thing. Guess what? Your family and your marriage, guys, will go a lot better if you do it. And the word to love is the word in the language of the New Testament that we, that we call agapeo, meaning the highest level of love. Uh, in the Greek language, there's different words that we translate love. Eros, erotic love, sexual love. Phileo. Brotherly love, the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It means like you love a friend or a family member. The word that's used here, agapeo, is the same word that's used in 1 John that describes God's love for us. It is the highest of all loves. It is the purest. It is the most refined. It is the most dynamic. It is sacrificial. Husbands, agapeo, husbands, love your wives. We're to love our wives with a sacrificial devotion, with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a thoughtful commitment. And when this happens, you know what we do? We actually build confidence in the home. See, husbands, as we love our wives, we actually build the confidence of our spouse. If your wife struggles with insecurity, here's a great question, husbands. Are you building your wife up or are you saying things that is contributing to making her second guess herself all the time? Husbands, love your wives. What a great opportunity that we have. It's beautiful. If your wife ever says, I don't want a birthday present, guess what? She's lying. Gina did that a few years ago. I don't, I don't need anything for my birthday. I'm good. No, no wife. Every, every wife wants to receive presents and gifts. Come on, man. Really. So we got to show love. See, sex flows from this great passage right here. What are you talking about, Ryan? Husbands love your wives. A lot of couples are frustrated because they want to have more sexual intimacy in the home. Why, why is that so difficult sometimes? Because husbands, in many regards, are not loving their wives. When you love your wife, when you agapeo your wife, sex flows from that. If your wife doesn't feel valued, if she doesn't feel significant, if she doesn't feel appreciated, if she doesn't feel heard, if she doesn't feel listened to, if she doesn't feel supported and encouraged, guess what? She doesn't want to be with you. 
But when we begin to love our wives in this regard, the family comes together and the sexual part of marriage and family begins to flow and to work. Colossians 3.21 moves on and it gives dads another assignment. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Um, Fathers got two assignments. They got husbands love your wives and then fathers don't exacerbate your kids. And we could also translate this word fathers to to, uh, the word parents, depending on how you want to look at it. Moms and dads parent children, but we'll kind of leave it with the dad chair because it says fathers. Social scientists tell us that they they can predict with great accuracy the outcomes of a kid's life based on the home that they grow up in. Whether they use drugs, whether they're promiscuous, whether they go to jail, whether they graduate from school. Many of those social indicators are seen by the table with which the kids sit. It's really amazing. And that's why parents have such a huge obligation and responsibility to raise children. And he says, listen, don't do it in a harsh manner. Don't exacerbate your children. In other words, don't, don't provoke them. Don't, don't do things that, that create more conflict and problems in the home than, than were already there. Ephesians 6.4 kind of uh, tells us a little bit more about that. Fathers, don't stir up your anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, how do we do that? We, we don't stir them up. We, we, we train them and we instruct them. We start by spending time with kids. You know, one of the greatest responsibilities that a parent has is to help a kid understand their giftings, their strengths, their weaknesses, their capabilities, and how they fit into the kingdom of God. You know, how does my strengths, how does my personality, how does my giftings from the Lord, how, how do I use that? How do I use that in the church? How do I use that in the kingdom of God? What is God's purpose for my life? And that comes through the home and through parenting. But here's a few ways that we can dishearten or provoke children. One, showing favoritism. In fact, if you look back at the book of Genesis, Jacob showed favoritism to his son Joseph. Maybe you remember the story. He gave him the, the technicolor dream coat. And all of the other brothers were jealous. And it provoked the brothers, didn't it? Showing favoritism will bring destruction in the home. How do we exacerbate kids? We, sh- we treat this kid this way and we treat another kid the same way. Don't do it. Putting them down. Pointing out their shortcomings. Um, a huge thing. A huge problem, putting them down. Um, Failing to show affection. You know, kids need to be hugged. They need to be loved. They need to be touched. They need to be be physically uh, engaged. And when we do that, we we build the table. We build the table. Um, Over-permissiveness is also the flip side to to over-protection. And... If we don't give our kids any rules, if we don't give them any structure, uh, we, we create chaos in the home. 
Parents, we should regularly be telling our kids no about something, whatever it is. And kids, if you're here today and your parents are telling you no, then you'll thank God later. Because parents that tell their kids, do whatever you want to do, things don't turn out so well. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Over-the-top discipline, punishing kids harsher than we should. All those things can exacerbate, they can provoke the home. So, husbands, parents, don't provoke the kids. But there's a fourth chair that I want us to see. The fourth chair is the kid chair. you got to love the kid chair. I've got the little high chair up here. The kid chair gets bigger as kids get bigger, but the kid chair, kids are instructed to obey. Now look at this right here in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. It, it, it pleases the Lord, teenagers, kids, when you honor your parents, when you obey your parents, it honors the Lord. Do you see the connection? It pleases God. Sometimes we think, well, I just don't really want to do what my mom says. Remember this, it pleases God. It may not be your preference. It may not be your choice, but, but you can say, I, I, I at least please God, okay? <laughs> My parents have some weird ideas. You know what? You don't have to agree with your parents, students. It says children obey your parents. When you get older and you have some kids and you have your own family, you can, you can, you can do what you, what you choose to do, but, but children obey your parents. You may know better, and you got a great opportunity in the rest of your life to do that, but, but for right now, when you're in mom and dad's house, children obey your parents. Do, do what they're telling you to do. Don't negotiate with parents. Now, see, in the home, sometimes we've got kids that think they're attorneys, you know? And we're raising some great attorneys, right? Because they, they debate. There's no debate. If mom says to do it, then, then start moving, okay? Children obey your parents. Another passage says that we should honor our, our parents, and uh, we can do that by showing gratitude, uh, saying thanks, uh, saying yes, which is obedience, saying I'm sorry, that's humility, and all of those things create the harmony in the home. Now, Kids, you can grow up with awesome Christian parents, but if you choose to rebel and do your own thing, uh, you know, it's going to be, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard life. God has given you instruction in the home, and parents are a blessing. They really are. And the older you get, the more thankful that you'll be for the instruction that you had. You may not see it now. In Ephesians chapter 6, Um, It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So it basically says you're going to live a long life. Do you see it? You're going to live a long life if you obey your parents. I don't think what the scripture is saying is you're going to live to be 98 if you do everything that your parents say and you're going to die at 21 if you don't. 
What this passage is conveying to us is just generally speaking, your life will flourish and will go much better if you do what your parents are teaching you to do. Man, and if you have Christian parents, oh my goodness, you've got an even greater opportunity. What a blessing. Um, Some kids don't learn authority. Many of you know that I coach the youth basketball team. And one of the things that I've seen coaching kids is some kids listen to coaches and others don't. Is that true? I can have a kid that has never played basketball. I can get him into practice. I can give him five pointers. He can listen and grow and really take his game to a new level if he listens. There's other kids, they don't listen to anything that you say. They're going to do what they're going to do. I have found that the home that the kids grow up in oftentimes is reflected on the basketball court. If a kid has never gotten critique, if a kid has never been told no, if a kid has never been corrected, if a kid has never been confronted, that's kind of a strong word for basketball, but if a kid's never gone through that, then all of a sudden when the coach is like, do this and don't do that, and don't, the kids are like, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, they either go into the fetal position or they just bow up and get angry, you know, one or the other. But kids that have been taught, guess what? They do better. And I can tell you what's true on the basketball court is true in school. It's true in church. It's true on the job. People who have authority issues, people that just can't get under any leadership, a lot of times they were never taught it in the home. So kids, you have a responsibility to get under the leadership of mom and dad. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach kids critique and feedback. Now, we have four seats at the table, but here's where problems happen. Sometimes one member of the family gets their feelings hurt, And they withdraw, and they bring their chair over here. And now there's a hole at the table. There's fragmentation in the marriage. There's conflict between children. Um, And sometimes it's easier to just pull away than it is to deal with the junk that's going on at the table. Other times, it's not one family member that's pulling away, sometimes we think, well, I'm going to have a family without God. There is no head of the table. We're going to put God over here, and we're going to do family our own way. And so we have no foundation. We have no body calling the balls and strikes. We have a huge gap. We have to have God to bring the family together. We got to have it. We got to have it. Other times, though, in the family, people are changing spots. We have the kid that decides to sit in the God chair. Problem. Sometimes we have the wife or the husband that might want to sit in the kid chair. Or maybe the kid wants to sit in the dad chair. Everybody has to sit in their own chair for that family to flourish the way that God wants. So what does your table look like? 
Where's the holes in your table? What's God saying to you today about this? Is, is God the head? Is the wife serving and submitting and helping? Is the dad, the husband, leading and encouraging? And are the kids obeying? When we live this kind of existence, when we have this kind of table and this kind of life, our families will flourish. Let's pray together for just a moment, Lord.